0: You're listening to The Archaeology Podcast Network. You're
2: listening to The Archaeology Show. TAS goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us. Welcome to the podcast.
0: Hello and welcome to The Archaeology Show, episode 164.
2: On today's show, we talk about restoring ancient inscriptions, potential new British royal burials, and a Stone Age reconstruction.
0: Let's dig a little deeper into the cysts of time. (laughs) welcome to the show everybody how's it going Hello. so this is our last recording in beautiful san luis obispo california
2: It is. i'm very sad to leave it's gorgeous here
0: yeah it's really nice but we are going to be heading up towards well reno for a little bit and then up into the pacific northwest which we also both like
2: mm-hmm. yep with a little stopover in in mexico along the way you know yeah you know, as you do <laughs> when you're mobile and you're work is remote you can work anywhere you want so yeah. we have like we were like let's go back to Mexico and just work there for a couple of weeks
0: yeah so we'll be back there at the end of April and mm-hmm. uh, I think we mentioned before when we were in Mexico that and I really hope we can get our crap together and maybe do some historical stuff in yeah Mexico. that'd
2: be really cool yeah there are yep. a few
0: museums down in Cabo San Lucas and mm-hmm. some cool stuff to see so definitely yeah anybody has going. any
2: any knowledge that we should have before going let us know
0: yeah for sure All right. Well, today's a news episode, and we've got three articles for you. they are pretty much no theme to these. They're all across the board.
2: I don't know. (laughs) I think Archaeotech might be a theme.
0: I mean, it could be, actually.
2: (laughs) At least two of these is very um, tech-focused. Yeah, for sure.
0: So this first one came from Nature Asia, the Nature Asia version, Mm -hmm. and it's called Archaeology, Restoring Ancient Texts Using Artificial Intelligence. This was in the March 10th, 2022 edition of Nature. Cool. So this is all about epigraphy. Do you know what epigraphy is? I do not. It's the study and interpretation of ancient inscriptions. Oh. Not like current inscriptions even. Literally ancient, ancient inscriptions. Ones.
2: Okay.
0: Do you know what people who study those things are called?
2: I'm going to guess they're called epigraphers.
0: Yes, but... they are. But. <laughs> so ep uh, No. No, that's not right. So anyway, yeah, epigraphers, that's like a whole thing. Yeah. And they spend, I mean, these are the kinds of people that you can imagine have like some sort of dusty like stone in front of them with weird scratchings on it and like a whole bunch of books open around yeah, them
2: yeah yeah they're like taking a rubbing off of it or yeah. whatever yeah <laughs> yeah so
0: that's what these guys do and that's what they've done you know that's what they've always done mm-hmm. and it's just a very labor intensive process because we're talking about ancient greek in this specific case but i'm sure that other places with inscriptions that are difficult to read or you know the languages only partially known, something mm-hmm. like that, that, you know, the same circumstances would apply. I can imagine over in say some Asian countries like, you know, China and Japan with their interesting writing systems, there's a lot of similarities here. Mm-hmm. But either way, ancient Greek, like a lot of languages, has dialects and, and regional dialects and things like that. And all of that shows up in the writing as well. Mm-hmm. And you can also date inscriptions, not just based on what the inscription is talking about, but sometimes it sounds like you can date it based on like how the inscription is written.
2: Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. Cause it language evolves. <laughs> it evolves. Yeah, <laughs> evolves it evolves. Yeah. Language evolves. So, you know, there could be a, a later version of saying something and then you yeah. can kind of relatively date things based on, on that. That's kind of neat.
0: Yeah. And of all the languages that we know, I imagine ancient Greek has been studied, you know, to death. So much. So, so much. We, we know so much about it.
2: Now, forgive my ignorance here, but I don't know a whole lot about classical archeology, span but I mean, Hey, do I. <laughs> well, you you did more research on this one than I did, but the inscriptions themselves are on like stones and tablets and like Moses style situation. Or is it, are there paper and, and parchments in there somewhere too? Did that, it say?
0: that actually wasn't really focused on in this article. Okay. However, looking at some of the pictures and, and some of the other just inferences, I would guess it's a mixture of all that stuff.
2: Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Because yeah. what I was thinking is like, this sounds like it could be really helpful with like The variations in handwriting too, because like this is still people who are making these shapes, and if it's anything like people today, some look good and some do not. Yeah, (laughs) the
0: lefties of the ancient Greek world were (laughs) not too uh, not too happy. Right. (laughs) So anyway, what these researchers did was they took. A data set they called it of ancient Greek inscriptions from something called the Packard Humanities Institute mm. over hundred and seventy eight thousand inscriptions are in this data set, so mm-hmm. this has just been you know inscriptions that have been collected and dropped here, and they're all ancient Greek inscriptions okay from different time periods, different regions you know all over the ancient Greek world
2: I imagine that's pretty easy when you're just talking about like a digital version of something right you yeah. can just sort of collect yeah. a whole pile of them in one place
0: and that's basically what they have and They took this data set now, they needed to train their, they call it a deep neural network, but to train this, and we're going to talk about that in a second, but Mm -hmm. to train that network... They basically had to give it stuff that they they already knew with pretty good certainty oh, what sure. it was. But yeah, you got to teach yeah. it first. Yeah, yeah. you got to say, mm-hmm. well, here's all the fragments. We actually know what it says. Mm-hmm. You know, here's what we can tell you based on the fragments that this is what it says. So getting rid of like fuzzy images and, you know, different things that could be ambiguous and things like that. They ended up with, after cleaning this data set, they cleaned out basically 100,000 inscriptions and ended up with 78,608 ancient Greek inscriptions that they fed into this computer and told mm-hmm. it, what it what it was. Mm-hmm. So now that they have this deep neural network trained, they were suddenly getting restoration of ancient Greek texts with 72% accuracy. That is
2: so cool. Yeah. That is so so cool.
0: That's pretty neat. Now, 72% is still like, leaves some room for error, but still.
2: It does. But I wonder if it's kind of like, like transcripts on spoken language, right? Mm -hmm. Like you always have to go in and read them and make tweaks and changes because it just can't quite transcript it properly. So I wonder if it's kind of a similar thing, like they can take that 72% and then like correct it up to, you know, closer to 100%. -hmm. But they get this basis to start with, which is really cool.
0: Yeah. The program can also predict the inscriptions region and date with some accuracy as well, which is also really cool. So looking at those dialects and I'm not really sure how it predicts date, to be honest. I think like we said... It was it was language evolution kind of thing, but also you know regional dialects, and these terms are only used here, maybe
2: yeah, in this time frame. They probably have a whole like a relative dating thing where all these different things slot in in different time periods.
0: Right, right. So now it's called Ithaca because there's a whole thing about there's a Greek island called Ithaca, basically, Mm -hmm. and this has to do with the the Greek hero Odysseus. Oh, right. Okay. At some point, he was trained on the ancient Greek language in the Mediterranean world at some point because of something. And because he was (laughs) trained and it had to do with this island of Ithaca, they called called it Ithaca. Ithaca. (laughs) Yeah. So
2: you know what? That was a great explanation. I bet people who've actually read (laughs) (laughs) more recently than I have. I mean, I'm going
0: off just the paper. So now that they have this program and they're continuing to add data to it, it's continuing to learn and do better at basically, you know, transcribing these things. They're hoping, obviously, that it's going to assist with restoration and even attribution of new and uncertain inscriptions. And attribution means who wrote it, right? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, so we can see because there weren't like a ton of people in the time frames that we're talking about here that actually knew how to write.
2: Right. 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 Yeah. And,
0: and had the skill to even put this down on either, either paper or had access to paper or oh. put it down in, in stone.
2: Yeah. So like in a small community, there might've been only a handful of people that could do this kind of writing. Right. They might actually know who those people were in the time yeah. period too. So yeah, that would be really cool to like, like I said, get the hand, get the handwriting of these different
0: people, mm-hmm. you know, and
2: like know who wrote what. That, that's really cool.
0: Yeah. And yeah, the traditional methods, as I mentioned in the beginning of this, are just so complex and time consuming that even if this thing isn't like 100 percent accurate, mm-hmm. it's going to get them a lot further along earlier. Maybe like get the low hanging fruit and get mm-hmm. some of the easy stuff, but at least get it done for them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the biggest problem I think that researchers are going to have with this, if what we know of archaeologists and other people that work in these kind of areas is true, it's going to take a long time before they trust it.
2: Yeah, probably. I mean, they'll definitely be doing a lot of checking of anything that the computer spits out. And I don't know, though. I feel like they might get to a point where they trust it pretty quickly. And then hopefully when things are wrong, I mm-hmm. would I would imagine it would be glaringly obvious when something is wrong to a researcher. Because it just doesn't fit, you know? Yeah. So hopefully that, and that'll get better and better with time too, the more, the more inscriptions it reads and learns or whatever. So yeah, for sure. It seems like it's definitely just, the beginning, and it can only get better from here.
0: Right. Cool thing about this article is you can actually read the whole thing. So, oh, if you, is it open source? Click, yeah. Well, not, but kind of. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's an open access. So, if mm-hmm. you click on the article that we have here, there's kind of a synopsis right there, and then you can click through to the actual article and even download the uh, PDF. So, um, they've got some some pictures of some of the things they were looking at, and and just a, a really good detailed like almost mathematical explanation of how the neural network actually works to restore text it's pretty cool Cool. yeah so the only thing other thing i really had to say about this is why are we giving stuff like this like names this thing should just be called like greek 2.0 or something like that (laughs) not ithaca Ithaca is a name of a thing that once it becomes self-aware Now we have to give it human
2: rights.
0: (laughs) Skynet. Like, hashtag Skynet.
2: I don't know. I think being a little bit more creative with the naming is kind of fun. And at least it's a place name and not a person, you know? That's true. But (laughs) it
0: it can quickly become, like, a name of a thing, you know, that we attribute as, like, a person.
2: Do you have an objection to giving cars names? Because they all have names. And a lot of them have place names as their names.
0: But those are all named the same thing. Like, you have a whole bunch of hyundai elantras it's not hyundai (laughs) sophia you know like that's not you know and then we've got hyundai george and hyundai no because
2: those are names i'm talking about places like lots of cars are place names
0: well that's true that's true but this is like one thing and it's got the potential to really get smart (laughs) Mm -hmm. and now it has a name and it's going to have an apartment next year You're just
2: scared because you're a child of the 80s (laughs) in like three years it's
0: going to have a driver's license we don't know where this thing is going to go when it starts drinking who knows
2: Oh my God! What
0: the inscriptions are going to do? You're super
2: ridiculous. And this is
0: Greece, so those it will be drinking at a pretty young age. Mm-hmm. I gotta say, yeah, they're they're way more aware. Uh huh. Anyway, I have some one of my last notes. I really should have moved this up, but I'm <laughs> going to mention it now anyway. Is that the location, the original location of the inscription, and the act and the dating was actually pretty accurate. Seventy one percent accuracy on original location mm. for the inscription probably came from. And then dated to less than 30 years from the date ranges proposed by historians. Oh,
2: that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, like you said, it's, it's pretty good now and it's only going to get better, right? So, yeah. it's yeah. learning and improving.
0: Yeah. So, that's pretty cool. We'll see what that brings in the future. Cause, I mean, if you look at figure one in the paper, for example, you can see where the actual text is and, and what was inferred. And the actual text that's actually existing and readable, it's good. It, I mean, I'm just making a guess here, but it looks like only about maybe 40% of this thing. Is real, the rest of it is inferred by oh, the other 40%. Oh,
2: okay. So they've got like a sentence breaking down the middle and they're kind of filling in. Oh,
0: they've got the a other breaking all over it. the place. Yeah. Imagine you took a rectangular piece of stone, you smashed it with a sledgehammer, you took uh-huh. 60% of it randomly and threw it in the trash.
2: Yeah. What totally. did that 60% say? Right, right. You know, so. But yeah, you could put that together yeah. if you know enough about the language. Well, and, yeah. and as long as it's not
0: fiction, as long as they're not writing stories here, a lot of times inscriptions were, you know, tabulations of accounts and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, re- recounts or of uh, battles and stuff like that. There's other corresponding data. And we we typically will probably know how these things were written in, mm-hmm. a, in a certain style. So inferring what the rest of it says, you know, actually, that's where the and I think the the accuracy of 70 plus percentage, I mean, might not be able to get more accurate than that. We yeah. might just have to say, listen We think with this much certainty, this is what it says, even if it's a computer, because we can't actually know what it said.
2: Yeah, it's the pieces are missing, so yeah, yeah, there's no way to know. So that's really cool, though.
0: All right, well, the other thing there's no way to know is whether or not a certain burial in England is actually a king or not, (laughs) or even like whether it's British or Celtic (laughs) or who knows, it's the craziness times over there. And we're going to talk about that on the other side of the break. Back in a minute. Welcome back to episode 164 of the Archaeology Show. And this next article is a little frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> so the, I mean, from Heritage Daily, I just picked that one because it's like everywhere. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of sources covered this. The Independent in the UK, mm-hmm. uh, which, to be honest, a lot of these articles seem to have quoted the Independent and not the original study. Yeah. Yeah the heritage daily one kind of typifies what the what the headline is and its new study identifies the likely burials of up to 65 british kings now mm-hmm. there's a lot wrong with that statement yes yeah what this is and and first off let me let me get back to this this says that it's a new study published in the journal of the royal society of antiquaries of ireland and I can't find this article anywhere.
2: I wonder if it's like a paper only kind of thing. Like they still like probably print a journal and send it out. And the only way you can get your yeah, hands but, on it is in print.
0: But a lot of paper journals, they at least list what's in the journal yeah, on their website. They do. And the current journal listed on this website for the Journal of the Royal Society of Antiquaries of Ireland, which is a <laughs> mouthful. The current journal is listed as 2019. Oh, you know, so they
2: haven't updated their website since 2019. Oh, well, they basically. haven't updated that
0: page since 2019. <laughs> you know so, what? That
2: totally makes sense. They get their paper yeah. like version out to all their members and like get around to the website right. later. <laughs> I mean, this journal's been
0: around. I think since like, I was looking at their website since like 1849. Mm-hmm. They've published every year since then, and I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. They're like, listen, you'll get a paper copy. It's probably <laughs> like an ancient Greek inscription on a tablet, and and you know that's how yeah. they've always done it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so...
2: It's frustrating, though, because it means that this really eye-catching headline that that grabbed us, we can't go verify any of it in the original source.
0: But the thing is, like, did some reporter at The Independent really have a (laughs) subscription to this journal? Like, do they... (laughs) Maybe. Are they a member of this society, you know?
2: Well, I think you're going to get to this later, but wasn't this study published... A while ago?
0: The study was published, according to some uh, sources, in March of oh, this year. Oh, recently.
2: Oh, the okay. The study
0: was actually published now. Oh, because yeah. I was going to
2: say, it's poten- there's the potential that somebody found it in a library. Like some young reporter at the Independent oh, was just poking yeah. around in the library and found it. You no, know? I don't think so.
0: I think someone got this in their mailbox and said, <laughs> this is cool. Let's write about this. Well, so. anyway,
2: how they got it is all speculation. <laughs> and we definitely can't get our hands on it in a no. digital format, at least not that we can find.
0: Yeah, I looked I looked in quite a few places and I looked at a bunch of articles that were talking about this and this is where I found out that a lot of the articles that actually mention this study seem to be just reporting on either the independent or some mm-hmm. other journalistic output's actual reporting of right. it. Right. So whoever got to this first or second, everybody else is reporting on that. On their report, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So,
2: interesting. But what we do know is we know a little bit about England and the UK and the structure of their royal leaders. So we can speak to that a little bit, which is what we're going to do here.
0: Well, kind of, right? And that's where this article gets confusing because it it says 65 British Kings. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Now what's British mean? Right. Right. (laughs) Like, is it, has it always been Britain? (laughs) Here's where
2: we can't speak to it very well because that's a confusing Question for an American, I think. Because <laughs> it said
0: 65 British kings, and I was like, that sounds like a lot of kings. Yeah. What about the queens? You know, stuff like that. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of kings. And I did a little research, and there have actually, officially, there have been 61, which is a shockingly small number, but 61 British monarchs in the last 1,200 years or so. So that's basically going back to, like, give or take 1066. And pre-1066 is the year when, what do William they call William the that? Conqueror Yeah, and it's all that. the whole, like, founding yeah. of, like, officially, you know, Britain. Yeah, so
2: that might go back a little bit further than that, but as they're like
0: leading up. Yeah, sort of, yeah, yeah. yeah, as yeah. They're getting, so
2: like Alfred the Great probably and all that.
0: Right. So yeah. that's that's like according to British history. That's mm-hmm. like that's what's where they're headed to. Mm-hmm. Right. But these burials, these senior royals, they call it uh, and they also call it that they're from the, the Dark Age. And I think that's probably just because, you know, nobody's writing about it. But uh
2: <laughs> well, the Dark Ages is that in between Romans and Middle yeah. Ages time period. So it's that's sort what of saying. a a very subjective like chunk of time but exactly. yeah yeah
0: and there was lots of different little regional kingdoms all over what is now the UK mm-hmm. and including you know Wales and all that stuff but yep these burials are from that time period basically after the romans were like we're done you can have it mm-hmm. they they like the the celts who they they had sequestered up on the other side of hadrian's wall and mm-hmm. and uh Anglo-Saxon people all over the place. They're like, you know what, yeah. you guys, we're going we're going back to Rome. <laughs> we're we've out.
2: Got,
0: <laughs> we've got olives. We've got feta. It's just like a better place. This is cold. We don't like Rome it.
2: Rome out. Rome <laughs> out. And so
0: they took off. Yeah. And now you've got all these different kings. And this is probably, you know, these regional areas were probably giving them a lot of trouble to begin with. And that's yeah. why, you know, that's why we have it here. But so what's going on here is it's not actually British kings. It's really more Celtic slash Anglo-Saxon whoever was left. Yeah, games. yeah, yeah. British so. is
2: a more modern term, from what I yeah. understand, for for that area and and the people there. Right. So, so yeah, I would I think British is just because they were found in the UK doesn't mean yeah. that they're they were British at that time. That's right. that's a that's an example of modern people assigning their own. Ideas and ethnicity to, to burials and things mm. that were found in the past, like, yeah. which happens a lot. So it's not surprising.
0: Right. So prior to this study, which we'll talk about, only one post-Roman burial of an indigenous British monarch, we're just going to say British because they do, a yeah. uh, British monarch from the Dark Ages time period um, has been identified. So like con- conclusively identified as a monarch.
2: That's so shocking. But well, and here's that's why monarch, though, right? But that's like, where
0: the study comes in. Yeah. Right. So only yeah. one was actually identified. But that, as with lots of archaeology, it comes into the fact that we just didn't know what we were looking for. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget the project that my company did down in Southern California. We were actually resurveying 15,000 acres that had been surveyed before mm-hmm. because there was a, a, a fire cracked rock feature that was just. Not really properly identified because they didn't they hadn't seen that kind of thing before.
2: Oh yeah and so
0: once I think the base archaeologist had gone out there, did some studying on their own and found out hey, this is actually a thing and here's what they look like, they had it resurveyed with us looking specifically for those things. It turns out they're everywhere mm-hmm. right So these these little roasting pit features for like you know local um, nuts and things. yeah, yeah, yeah. so anyway, it's it's pretty common that if you don't if you don't see something for what it is and you, you don't have something conclusively that says, Oh, this is what it is, but once you get that conclusive thing that says, Yeah, this is definitely a royal burial chamber, you'll start mm-hmm. recognizing those characteristics and other things that were found. Yeah. And that's basically what this author did here, Professor aka Dr. Ken Dark, which is a super awesome name. <laughs> so
2: So basically he he went back to burials that were found over a period of several decades. Yeah that were not identified as royal burials they were just burials
0: we knew they were burials we knew
2: they were burials yeah and he looked at those characteristics of those burials and said okay based on this one what it looks like what was with it it was probably a royal is that yeah. basically the gist of the study
0: yeah and i get the impression he's uh i don't know he's either irish or associated with ireland in some way mm-hmm. or just studies there because he had compared these sites with similar royal burials from similar time periods in Ireland, mm, that they know they're royal burials. Okay. So looking at those and and just looking at the characteristics of these things, they've kind of started concluding that, you know, these are also likely royal burials. Okay. Yeah.
2: It is an interesting approach to doing this kind of work because obviously, you know, a hundred years ago, plenty of burials were being discovered as mm-hmm. people were building things and building roads and structures and whatever, but they didn't know how to necessarily interpret them, not having the body of work that we have now for yeah. comparative reasons. So
0: The body, of work.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So given that, it it's actually kind of a cool idea to sort of go back and reassess what is a royal burial and what is not. Right. I think where our problem comes in is like calling them British, number one. Come on, yeah. media, get it right. <laughs> yeah. Like these were the the tribal groups that occupied the land that is currently Britain, England, Scotland, whatever.
0: But you get that kind of stuff all the time, though, like with Piltdown Man. Piltdown Man was supposed to be, you know... Thousands and thousands of years old. And it's like the first Britain. Yeah. That wasn't even remotely British back then. But because because we say the first American. Yeah. And America's only been around for 400 years as a concept.
2: That's a good point. You know? Yeah. Yeah.
0: So these guys are going to say British kings, even though they weren't technically British kings. Yeah. They're just on British soil.
2: And like the word... Britain comes from somewhere, so there were people that probably do call themselves Britons back at that time. So, anyway, the whole like network of different groups coming together to make the country of of the UK as Mm -hmm. we know it now is is kind of complicated and a little confusing for somebody who didn't like grow up with that history.
0: Yep. So the interesting thing about the burials that were studied in this particular article. It was about 20 royal burial complexes, each that had, give or take, five burials within them. So there was kind of some interesting grouping going on there. Mm -hmm. And all of them appear to date to the 5th or 6th centuries Mm A.D. Now, that's what it says, Mm -hmm. and we'll say C.E. However, one of our uh, APN podcast members over in our members-only Slack team, if you want to have discussions about these podcasts with very smart people... And and us, we're not included in the very smart people part, but if you want to have discussions about these things, you know, become a member of the APN. It's eight bucks a month or less if you do it yearly, and you can be part of our Slack team where you can talk about these. But one of our members had, you know, kind of took us to task over the saying C E instead of like A D and and B C E instead of B C. It's still based on a, a single religion's idea of what time is and how calendars work. And I understand that. You know, you're not you're not really taking that away,
2: and we did say that in the episode. We did too. say that. We mm-hmm. did say that. Yeah,
0: but we also don't have like a better way to do the dating right now. Yeah, you know, and I actually mentioned in the episode, and I, I looked this up. Uh, I was like, Star Trek got it right with doing star dates, but star dates. I didn't realize first off how you do a star date changes depending on what series you're talking <laughs> about of Star Trek, uh-huh. and it's all still based on calendar dates. Yeah, I just didn't realize. I thought it would have a further back. Starting point. I was like, no. "Let's make it, you know, be more encompassing the whole universe and call it. Uh, let's call the zero time, like when carbon was first formed in the in the early universe. Let's call that zero, and then from there we go forward. Mm-hmm. So we'd have to have something denotes big numbers because you know I don't want to write out the date of fourteen billion six hundred five million point five. You know that would be stupid.
2: Yeah, time's weird, and it's yeah. hard to talk about it without referencing human stuff." And
0: yeah, I yeah. mean, it, it, do, we, do we just go back to the beginning of this universe or like all potential universes? I mean, come on. <laughs> like, where does time start? Time is universal. <laughs> all right. So another couple cool things about these burials that some common characteristics that they have, they were largely, well, they had like a rectangular or square. So, you know, variable ditched enclosure. So like a ditch around them. Mm-hmm. A- and then they also some had entry gates and access causeways protected by fences or palisades. So oh. clearly not like your average peasant buried in one of these things. Right,
2: they put some work into yeah. those for sure. And there were five together, as in...
0: In like one burial in complex. like one burial... I don't know why that grouping... I don't know what that, why that's significant at all.
2: Yeah, that is yeah. interesting. I wonder if they... I would love to see the original article so we could know if those five graves yeah. represent five rulers one after another, you know? So it's a couple generations. Right. Or is it fi- maybe five people who died around the same
0: time, but they well, were all it,
2: important, you know, like,
0: yeah. And the article says up to five as well. Hmm. So none of them had more than five, apparently. Okay. These complexes, but there's varying numbers. If you, we mm-hmm. can find the actual article, there's probably a data set. And apparently there's 11 other burial con- complexes that are under consideration. Now that this information is coming out mm-hmm. and it's like, Oh, okay. So this is what this could be. Let's reanalyze a bunch of yeah. stuff.
2: You so- know, though, I'm still like, what does it matter? Because, knowing what we know about the burial it they were rectangular square ditch entry gates like these were clearly people of importance for this time period because you would only have a burial that looked like that if it was somebody important why do we have to put the word royal in front of it? Like, why does that matter? Well, because it's somebody of importance. That's good enough. Yeah. You know, a leader in the community.
0: But people of importance in this country were all royals. I mean, the monarchy dates is is deep in England. Mm-hmm. It's deep. Of course, it is. Yeah. So it's so by by putting that in the headline, you perk people's ears because oh, they love yeah. the monarchy. Oh
2: yeah, obviously. Like that's definitely yeah. a way to grab people's attention. I'm just yeah. I'm just not sure. Like it matters from a. From a research perspective, whether they were considered royal or just the leader of the community or whatever. And we already knew that they were important. So I'm not really sure what this study says, except that, hey, these people that we already knew were important, they're still important and maybe they were royal, but who knows? Yeah. Like that's sort of where I'm at about it.
0: Hmm. (laughs) Well, I mean, it does go back to, you know, if we can start identifying who these people are. I mean, everybody's always interested in genealogy. I mean, hell. Mm -hmm. We're, That's a cool point. We're paying $40 a month for genealog- genealogical software oh my we're not God. even using. I am
2: so going to cancel that. I keep forgetting. <laughs> <laughs> now you've reminded me but... on air. I've got to cancel it.
0: <laughs> Please, we need someone to comment and actually give us <laughs> negative iTunes reviews for every month that Rachel doesn't cancel.
2: Oh, I'm going to cancel it. I or love, use it. Well, I love Ancestry.com. That's what we're talking about if we haven't said it already. But it's just I don't have time to do it. And I I, yeah. I need to
0: just get rid of it. <laughs> so anyway... Everybody loves genealogy and finding out your past, including countries and yeah. nations. And so, even if it dates pre the founding of what we know as England today, it would still be pretty cool to know, you know, who the rulers of different regions were cool. and really yeah. fill in that picture. Yeah. And you know, we can't and will never be able to fill in the picture of the, you know, the individual names of the people who really lived, the peasants mm-hmm. that lived. Now we can using archaeology. Determine how they lived in a lot of cases, what they were eating, you know, how they were, how they lived on the landscape, how they interact with the landscape. Mm -hmm. You know, we really don't know how kings interact with the landscape because they probably had people doing stuff for them. Right. You know, but, uh, but understanding who these people were helps just paint that picture a little more. Yeah, that's
2: definitely true. And I I think that that part is very important for sure. I think I'm just taking umbrage with the word royal and i can't <laughs> yeah. get over that so i'm gonna stop now
0: <laughs> well they took it a step further uh-huh. in this article oh god this is
2: even worse <laughs> and, I, and i
0: don't even know if this i I would be willing to bet this wasn't mentioned in the article I i don't know if because we can't find it this but
2: sounds like a news person like media. taking a taking a leap
0: so given the locations of where some of these burials are and the time periods with which some of these burials were thought to have existed in there's been a correlation made to king arthur <laughs> and I am not even certain, uh, from my just knowledge and not even looking this up, if King Arthur was even a real person.
2: I'm not sure if it's based on but a real, a real yeah, person. real there's a lot of there mythology. Be, yeah, there's a lot of mythology, obviously. There, yeah. there could be some threads of reality in there somewhere. And I'm
0: sure there are. A lot of these legends and things, like, you know, you could even go back to, say, you know, like the legend of Robin Hood. I mean, that really is based in some kind of, you know, tale of somebody doing yeah. something, but it's been inflamed in, you know, popular media. But yeah. anyway, so... You know, there's there's connections in some of the articles you might read that, hey, maybe one of these burials is King Arthur. Right. You know, because they're kings and he lived at this time in this place. Right. So, and you know, if King Arthur was a real person, there's nothing saying one of these isn't King Arthur, but I don't know if there's any way we'll be able to tell.
2: It's definitely a leap to say that. Yeah. It's just another headline grabbing thing to start talking about King Arthur, I think. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, all right. Well, we are going to go from here and all these decrepit kings that we don't know what they look like to a Stone Age woman. And we kind of know what she looks like.
2: Or at least we tried to.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about that on the other side of the break. Welcome back to segment three of the Archaeology Show, episode 164. And we are going to bust this one out. Oh, my God. That's so
2: bad. (laughs) It's not even a bust. You're the worst. (laughs) I didn't expect that at all. (laughs) You keep those really close to your chest so that you get a natural reaction (laughs) out of me. (laughs) So the reason you said bust is because this is a reconstruction of a full human.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But the picture I'm looking at is just the top. That's true.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Just the
0: head and neck and shoulders.
2: Yeah. So the title of this article is this beautiful reconstruction of a Stone Age woman feels almost like time travel.
0: A- AKA, very so does buzzy, all archaeology.
2: <laughs> very, very buzzy, buzzwordy. So that, that's yeah. fine. That's Looks fine. Looks like
0: a hive of bees is buzzing so much.
2: Honestly, I avoided this article. Maybe not this specific one, but at least like five others of this article for probably the last like three weeks because it just felt too clickbaity, yeah. right? Like it was just trying to draw us in and it wasn't going to be very good and it wasn't whatever. So I definitely judged a book by its cover. I was wrong. This article is really cool.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: So the article that we're quoting here is in science,
0: science alert. alert,
2: science Alert. But like I said, I saw this in a bajillion different places. So if you just search for a reconstruction of a stone age woman, you're probably going to find a million different options that you can read. Sure. So the idea here is that there is a life-size reconstruction of a woman leaning on a walking stick and she is on display in Sweden in the Vester mm-hmm. Norlands museum. Now, okay, no big deal, right? But the way that they created her is really, really cool. Yeah. So first off, let's talk about who she's based on. In 1923, there was some road construction and it uncovered the remains of a woman who was probably in her late 20s, early 30s and a child around age seven and probably a boy. Now, the DNA preservation on them is very, very poor. So we don't know what the familial relationship is here or if there was one at all. I suppose they could have just been buried there out of happenstance together rather than because they were related but there's speculation that it's probably mother and son Mm -hmm. it could be sister brother there's a there's probably some kind of familial relationship like you would guess that with two people buried together in a grave okay so we've got that grave physically it's well preserved like her skull is is very very well preserved it's the dna part of it that is not well preserved so Mm -hmm. kind of that's why you can do some things to it, but not other things. It's a
0: little surprising there's DNA at all that's, that you can pull out of it.
2: Well, there there really wasn't. Like That's yeah. why they couldn't do any of that. But sometimes there is. It just depends on the preservation and how well it, that part of it was preserved. Sure. So this grave is called a cyst grave. And what that means, I looked this up because I was like, what does a cyst grave mean exactly? Yeah. <laughs> but it's basically like a coffin or a box shape in the ground. And then it the bodies are in this box shape, body or bodies. And then it's lined by stones. And sometimes it's like large slabs. So you get these large like rectangular slabs all around the edges. And mm-hmm. sometimes even like an overhanging slab sort of like over the top of it to kind of like I don't know, hide it or protect it or something. It's an underground burial chamber. Yeah, basically. But I also saw some pictures that show it lined like smaller rocks, like lines, almost using them as bricks kind of to create the shape. So it probably just really depends on the natural materials in the area, what they could get their hands on easily. Mm -hmm. The larger slabs would be a lot harder to move. So I would feel like that would be in a more like permanent grave setting, whereas the smaller stones would be a more mobile situation. But who knows? Just just speculation.
0: Yeah. No, the article says the the woman was about four feet, 11 inches tall, which is pretty short. Yes. Uh, and buried around 4,000 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She was short and
2: even for that time period. So, yeah.
0: Here's the thing I don't get. She seems overall... They said she seems overall healthy with no ing- injuries or malnourishment, yet she's leaning on a cane in the reconstruction. Why is that?
2: I don't think it was a cane so much as like a walking stick. Like, yeah. they wanted to show her in motion. So, like, yeah. it's like she's, like, about to take a step, kind of. That's why she's got uh, the... Okay. yeah. They don't mention what kind of grave goods she was buried with. So maybe they had a reason to think that maybe she had a walking stick with her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who knows? They don't know how she died either. So it could have been some kind of disease. that just doesn't show in the skeleton. Yeah. They were able to do some isotope studies and the data showed that she had a land based diet. Mm. So that's, that's basically it.
0: Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, isotope studies are usually done on the teeth.
2: Yeah. And the teeth yeah. were very well preserved. You can see yeah. that in
0: the image. Teeth so. usually are. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: yeah. So, so that's who she was, and that's what the facial reconstruction expert, Oscar Nielsen, had to go on. Yeah. So what he did is he created a version of the skull by scanning it and then creating a plastic 3D model using 3D printing, of course. Mm-hmm. It's kind of amazing what 3D printing can do these days. Oh, yeah. And then he used the sex and age and potential weight based on her her the size of her bones and her size mm-hmm. to kind of guess at the skin thickness and also like the general appearance of like her body not not the facial stuff yet but just like the general appearance, appearance of her body yeah now there's no ethnicity information obviously because they couldn't do any of the DNA stuff that might give you some insight into that mm-hmm. so what he did is he looked at the the migration Patterns of people into the region that she was found in and there's a couple different times when people migrated into the area and the one that these remains fit into is a migration of people who tended to have dark hair and dark eyes and lighter colored skin it's just a general guess there's nothing saying that she actually looked like it's just a guess based on the what we know about the other people that have been found in this area through yeah. dna studies
0: when did norwegians get all pasty with blonde hair
2: <laughs> well this woman is pasty so yeah, yeah, that got part kind is of a there tan, though that, well she, i mean it's not like super light but yeah <laughs> i don't know they 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 say that the in earlier migration people tended to have blue eyes yeah. so all of the lighter colored eyes might have filtered through the population from that earlier mm-hmm. migration who knows but in this case he decided to go with what was known about that that migration period of those people so that's how we get to this point where she's got this long dark hair the dark eyes and then the lighter colored skin Mm -hmm. Uh, as far as her facial expression and you should really go check out the pictures because it's so expressive like her face it just like it really does look alive it's so cool yeah and this is where he really got to bring in his like artistic influence because you again you're guessing at what a woman's face and facial expressions would look like when you have a skull in front of you and because of the fact that she's buried with a young child, which may or may not be her child, the uh, Oscar Nielsen, the artist, his quote about that is, "She's looking with the mother's eyes, both with love and a bit of discipline," <laughs> <laughs> which I thought like fit the description of her expression so perfectly. So I thought that was really cool to see how he like brings his artist touch into it based on the the surroundings as well.
0: I mean, this has to be almost a a mother child relationship just, well, I guess it could be sister brother, like you said, but that would be pretty, I don't know. I don't it know. It would what be a would big spread them. in
2: age, but it's well, possible.
0: It's definitely possible. But mm-hmm. I, I wonder, man, they were buried together, not like found mm-hmm. as though they had died in a landslide or something like that, but they literally died probably at the same time.
2: Probably to be buried together. Yeah. yeah.
0: Now I wonder if with this being a cyst and not necessarily a burial, if it would possible to just like, maybe the child died in uh, as a child mm-hmm. and then they put him in oh, this burial oh yeah and then mom died a bit later
2: and they added her and to they it added her to the that, burial yeah. yeah and what was lacking from this article because it's really about the reconstruction what was lack is more context about the burials themselves mm-hmm. it's a very brief overview and these things were found a hundred years ago so i'm not even sure like we yeah. have a great idea of the context at this point anyway i'm not sure how well it was documented to begin with so yeah, an
0: early crm project basically yeah, construction site yeah
2: basically who did knows they even
0: call an archaeologist or <laughs> did they just like
2: just chunked it out and moved no. on yeah i don't know yeah, i mean they had stuff. the skull and which was in great shape and the yeah. rest of the skeleton so who knows but it could be like aunt and nephew too i mean yeah. you I mean, know a
0: lot of familiar relationships yeah
2: we just don't know exactly what it was yeah. but i think an older woman looking at a younger child with what did he say Love and a bit of discipline. Like it doesn't matter if you're related by family or not. If you're, if you have a familiar enough relationship, that look you could give to any child. I'm pretty sure I've given that look to my niece before. So, right, right. <laughs> anyway,
0: so let's talk about the clothing. Yeah. I'm, I'm really interested in this jacket thing she's wearing I with uh, with the fringe. Yeah. It looks very Native American, to be honest.
2: It does, and there's a reason why. So, the clothing they wanted a full reconstruction, so head to toe, and a woman named Helena. Jerem? Yeah. Sorry about that pronunciation. She's a Sweden-based independent archaeologist who uses Stone Age techniques for tanning leather. That's how she's described in the article. And she created all these clothes. She took inspiration from indigenous Americans, indigenous Siberians, and also from Otsy the Iceman, who Uzi. had Otsie. the Iceman. Uzi. He had pretty well preserved clothing. So she yeah. kind of used all that for influencing how she designed the clothing. And I think it looks pretty cool. I mean, it's all total speculation at this point. Mm -hmm. This is really artwork when you look at it from this perspective, because we have no idea what this woman was wearing. There's no way to know. Right. So she designed the woman's clothing out of deer, moose and elk. And then the shoes were out of reindeer, beaver and fox. And that's just based on animals in the area at the time. What they may or may not have had access to just, just kind of like regional animal studies. I'm not even sure if they looked as far as would people have hunted these animals or not. They they didn't even go that deep. Just were the animals present or not seems to have been the mm-hmm. the deciding factor. Now she did get her hands on real animal remains, probably roadkill or stuff, something like that. <laughs> she scraped them, and to get the the inside skin off. And then she soaked them in a river, which would loosen the fur. And then she scraped the fur off the outside for the pieces that were basically turned into leather that don't have fur on them. That's all pretty gross. It's disgusting. Oh, this is going to get even worse. <laughs> so the next step to basically turn this into leather is to slather on a solution made of moose brain. Brain. <laughs> brain. From a moose. From a moose. Yeah. <laughs> which they had there, apparently.
0: <laughs> Not like something else, but like no, a moose. Like,
2: mo- like she used moose brain. Yeah. To create this fatty mixture that she would slather on and would bond with the skin fibers. And I guess this is an essential step for making leather that would last over yeah. time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty gross.
2: Yep, yeah. also gross. But hey, really awesome that people were able to come up with that. This woman studies how to how to do these these techniques four or five thousand years ago. So you know,
0: you know why these people lived in cold areas? Because do you know what that thing would have smelled like in like a hot sun? Oh,
2: so just gross. Like, just like
0: walking around. You're like, <laughs> what is that? Is that Joan? I think it is. <laughs> no, it's my moose brain. Oh, so gross. It's my moose brain jacket.
2: <laughs> oh my God. Well, so there's another step after this. So maybe the like fattiness would be sort of toned down, that moose brain fat mixture. Because then you... There's a whole like series of steps where you massage it and boil it and stretch it and smoke it. And eventually you end up with leather.
0: (laughs) Every vegan and vegetarian listener we have just turned this off. I know, right? (laughs) They're like, this is why.
2: But I mean, these are people who didn't have access to (laughs) vegan leather and the stuff that's on the market these days. And they had to be warm. So they did what they had to do.
0: What even is vegan leather?
2: Uh, Plastic. (laughs) (laughs) That's better. (laughs) So one of the other things that Helena wanted to do was make sure that the clothing design was very practical. So I really appreciated this because I have sewn some of my own clothes. And what she did, she did not put a seam in the top of the shoulder, as an example, because water, you know, when it's raining down on you, if it's raining, could seep into that seam. So like. Otherwise
0: it was waterproof.
2: Well, kind of, yeah, like with yeah. the leather and the the processing that you do to it. I mean, I'm sure it would get wet on the outside, yeah. but I don't think it would seep through inside. So, You'd...
0: aka, not breathable. So you're still not smelling like too great, but you don't want to get wet.
2: <laughs> I don't know how breathable it was. I think It'd actually, keep you they, warm.
0: <laughs> I think they would have wanted seams on top just to get a little bit of a wash down <laughs> when it rains, like wash yourself inside.
2: Oh my of god, your, of
0: your moose brain maybe, garment. Maybe
2: you need that. <laughs> wow, you really can't get past the moose brain, can you?
0: <laughs> like, who thought? You know this jacket's really good and all, but you know what'll just make this really good? Like some moose brain. <laughs> <laughs> like, like who had that idea?
2: Oh my god! <sighs> well, she had to come up with something because she knew that there was a a step in between, like the removal of all the skin and the fur before going into the like tanning phase. Probably based on how we do it in modern times, and I guess moose brain was the most the best ingredient for that that step yeah so there you go now can we stop talking about moose brain please
0: i wish we could actually (laughs) it just keeps coming up
2: so okay so that's that's how all the clothes were made and you should definitely go check check out the pictures because there is some like full length images of this woman with her fully reconstructed face and then the the whole like i don't want to call it a costume because it is kind of a costume because it's totally made up based on some best guesses and and what was available to these people but it looks really really cool and the only thing that I walked away from this article with a question about is what was up with her hair?
0: Yeah, it looks pretty crazy. <laughs> it is
2: very elaborate. Now, there's no discussion of this whatsoever in the article. We have I have no idea why the reconstruction artist, I assume the, the the guy who did the face also did the hair, but it could have been somebody else. Who knows? But I have no idea why they chose to do the hair the way they did. And I'm guessing there's no evidence for that.
0: So. I mean, just from a practical standpoint, wouldn't every person back in the day have either dreadlocks or just like short <laughs> hair?
2: Well, not necessarily. I, I mean, mean, how often
0: can you possibly wash it and what kind of washing is that even?
2: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we might have be able to get some idea of like length of hair based on I mean, her hair is down to her waist. Yeah, like her hair is really long, which would yeah. not be practical. My no. hair is halfway down my back and it's in my face half the time. Yeah. So, in a lifestyle that she was probably living, like that hunter-gatherer type of thing, I, I just can't imagine it was very mm-hmm. efficient to have your hair down your back like that. Yeah. But who knows? It looks really pretty in the reconstruction. So we can definitely give them that. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's it. That's how they made her. That's that's where the inspiration came from. And she's on display in Sweden. So you can go check it out if you happen to be in that area. It sounds yeah. like a pretty cool museum display going on there. Or museum exhibit.
0: Cool. All right. Well, that's it for this episode. However, we just had a lot of fun a few days ago saying this knowing that it's actually a few days from now for us. But uh, we just had episode two of our live show. Yeah, that we're running on a platform. And it
2: will definitely be fun. I'm sure
0: it'll be awesome. <laughs> uh, we had guest, uh, and I'm sure he was great, uh, Andrew <laughs> Kinkela.
1: <laughs> it <laughs> is, will be great. <laughs> yeah,
0: he is a co-host of the CRM Archaeology Podcast. He's a professor at I think it's Moore Park College in mm-hmm. uh, Southern California. And he teaches archaeology. He al- he also has a YouTube page, which we will uh, link to on on the recording. So if you missed that live show, you can catch it if you're a member of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Go over to archpodnet.com slash members to see that. If you're already a member, just click on the members page. It's got a little lock on it mm-hmm. in, the, in the navigation title. You can click on that, go to the live events page. And then it'll have you log in, obviously, and you can watch the uh, replay of that anytime you want. Yeah. And we've got other live shows on there and more coming. So this is every two weeks. If you're not a member and don't plan on becoming a member, that's fine. You can still participate. Join in with the live recordings. It's every other Wednesday. So if you're listening to this in real time in the end of March... The next one will be coming up in like the second week of April, mm-hmm. the first full week in April, I should say, because mm-hmm. I think Friday is April Fool's Day, April 1st. So anyway, every other Wednesday, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern time. And sorry for everybody in the UK, but, you know, like we have jobs and stuff, too. And we just couldn't <laughs> do this on the weekends and we can't do it yeah. in the mornings. So. We'll, we'll
2: experiment with times in the future if we get, yeah. but, you know, give us feedback if you really want to do this, but you can't because the time just doesn't work for you. We want to hear that so that we can make sure that we're... I mean, making this work for everybody. You can also
0: just become a member. And oh just like yeah, watch well, just, but it is fun to be there live because <laughs> we is interact really with fun. the audience. Yeah,
2: you can ask questions yeah. and do stuff like that. We
0: actually on this last one episode too. I'm, I'm excited to see how this went because on our first one we have a game show that we do, and the winner in the comments, like the the audience participant who answers first correctly, has a chance to come back and participate on screen. In the following week, mm-hmm. so that's pretty cool, and we're going to do that this time around. So it'll be Rachel and the guest uh, that we have, Andrew, and then our winner from last time, Amy, will all be participating in this game. Show. If she
2: can make it, I think I remember seeing she couldn't, but we'll. we'll I don't hear know. From she her. signed up
0: for it. Oh, so, Oh, great. Okay, yeah. perfect. So we'll see.
2: See you then, Amy. I know, right? <laughs> so
0: anyway, we'll see it in the past because it's uh, already
2: happened. Yeah. <laughs> oh man!
0: But it's... Amy may have won again. So you know, she's a she can't
2: win. Well, because she's participating.
0: Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. She's participating. How yep. are we going to do that? I don't know. I don't know. Well, yeah, we we'll have see.
2: somebody else has to win. <laughs> yeah, somebody else has to win.
0: So, okay. Yeah. So, anyway, check that out. You can find all of our live events at culturomedia.com. That's with a K, K U L T U R O media.com. And then right in the middle of that page, there's only three links on there, is our uh, our live events. So, mm-hmm. go there. You'll click on another link after you read some information about it. And that's where you sign up. Mm-hmm. So if you see this on Facebook, Facebook doesn't actually display the link very well. And if you hit, I'm going to this event, that actually is not signing up for it. Um, it's free to sign up, but you have to sign up to get the access to the to platform the and link. to see it. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And maybe in the future, we'll be running these concurrently on Facebook Live, but we're just not there yet. Yep. So, um, but we do we do want to do that, but we just we just can't. So anyway, that's it for this week. We will be back next week with I don't even know what. And uh, I'm sure it'll be fascinating. <laughs> yeah, though. it'll be great. Yeah, it'll be awesome. <laughs> so we'll be doing that. And with that, we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Archaeology Show. Feel free to comment and view the show notes on the website at www.archpodnet.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at arcpodnet. Music for this show is called I Wish You Would Look from the band Sea Hero. Again, thanks for listening and have an awesome day. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, Dig Tech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network.